Hello there, uh, David Cunliffe. Yep, hi John, uh, David Cunliffe, I'm the cellist in Black Oak. And then we've got um, Aurelian Pedazzoli on my right, the violist. We don't have Desiree today, so it's just the two of us. Right, yes, I was, I was aware of that. Um, welcome to you both, David and Aurelian, to All Classical Portland here in Oregon. Great, thank, thank you. you. Thanks for having us. The three of you have uh, been performing for a time, and I guess it could be said that Black Oak Ensemble's core is the string trio, right? Do you sometimes bring exactly. in other musicians? Exactly, yes. Um, so the idea is to have the string trio as a core, as you mentioned, but bring in other instrument instrumentalists, whether it's a guitarist or a bandonian player to play tangos or a singer or pianist to play piano quartets. Um, but as it happens, the first couple of projects that we've got off um, the ground with are purely string trio um, albums. Yeah. Now, do you guys do all of your research uh, hunting up uh, string trios, both well-known and, and newly discovered? Yeah, I mean, we do a lot of research. This particular album came about um, in a, a sort of interesting way. Desiree and I were on a trip and we ended up in Budapest and we're looking in a music store and found all these composers beginning with the letter K and brought this music back home and started playing through it and just absolutely loved the music and not really knowing the context within which these pieces were written. And then Aurelian's mother, um, well, Aurelian, why don't you take over the story? Yeah, my, my mother is a history teacher back in France and uh, she devoted her life to the story of the Holocaust and um, Second World War in general. And uh, I grew up with with this um, as a as a child, and and when we, when we read this music, uh, Kuti, Krasa, and Klein, we read these pieces. We had no idea in which circumstances they were written. And soon after, I was talking to my mother, and she mentioned she was uh, reading a book called Music at Terezin that mentioned some of these composers, such as Krasa and Klein, who were very important in the musical life in the ghetto uh, that was Terezin. And once we realized it was this context that all three pieces, Kuti was deported to Auschwitz, and so was Krasa and Klein, that those composers were all in the same network at the time and ended up in the same tragic circumstances. We got in touch with the Oral Foundation in Los Angeles and Bob Elias, who then put us in touch with another foundation called Forbidden Music Regained. And then we finally got in touch with uh, the families of the victims, in this case, uh, the family of Gesa Fried, the family of Paul Herman and Dick Kattenberg. And we got the string trios from them, uh, in particular the Fried, which is a world premiere that we got the manuscript that had never been edited and was almost unreadable. And that's, that's how the project evolved slowly but surely into the city that it is now. And we were lucky enough to perform this music in Terzin in August, which was very emotionally charged. But we also are lucky to be in touch still with the families of these victims. Um, Paul Herman's grandson, whose name is Paul Herman, um, visited us in France this summer during a festival we were playing at and we're playing again in Amsterdam uh, very soon, December 10th, um, to film more of this documentary that we started in Terezin and 
we'll be meeting family of Dick Gattenberg and Gessa Fried and Herman, which is going to be very interesting because we've been talking to them for so long now. Now, your mother and as well this this connection to people who were related and can give you this direct uh, link I mean that must that must have added to um, I don't know the sense of responsibility in presenting this music as well as just a, uh, did you have a really strong feeling of connection to these human beings who were who were murdered snuffed out by the Nazis well um in in my case, uh, uh, quite a bit because my family is Jewish and and suffered through um, suffered through the Second World War in many different uh, ways. And uh, both my grandparents on each side were uh, interned in different camps. So there was this aspect uh, for me. Um, as as far as the families of the victims are concerned. Um, the person who is mostly in touch with them is a person who is not here today, Desiree, who has been back and forth with them. But knowing, meeting Paul Herman, for example, um, this this summer, who is now devoting his life to um, the work of his grandfather and bringing it to light, meeting someone like that and, and someone who has been marked either by knowing the person or by, by being related to them. That is an experience that, as a classical musician, you get so so rarely. I mean, it's not like you can talk to the Beethoven family or know Mozart's grandson. So it's, it's a direct link to this music. And of course, it is emotionally charged because of the context, but also because of the music itself, which is just incredible music. Oh. Well, David and or Aurelian, um, uh, you mentioned um, Robert Elias, Bob Elias, uh, who wrote the liner notes for the CD, which is uh, really beautifully put together. Um, listeners might be interested in knowing that there's even a, a color drawing from uh, Kattenberg's score on the back. But um, he talks about what happens to our perception of a piece when we're given the knowledge that the composer was didn't just die during World War II. Lots of composers died during those decades, but but were you know specifically targeted. Does it does it increase our appreciation or or raise our sympathy, um, or could it be well, that it makes it harder to hear the work on its own merits? Well, that that is something that um, we struggle. Maybe struggle is a strong word, but that is something that we 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 have to to think about because once I tell you that the Krasa and the Klein were written in Terezin in one of the most awful places uh, in the Second World War uh, that the Kuti was written in Squalor and that the Kattenberg, Hermann and Fried were written either with a fear of being found by the Nazis and deported or in the uh, growing uh, fascism and, and Nazi governments that was starting in the, tw- in the 20s, 30s um, your view of this music and the way you listen to it is going to be forever changed and you will feel the need to like this music or respect it in, in a way that maybe you wouldn't uh, if you didn't know that. Um, for us, when we read the Krasa and the Klein and the Kuti, we had no idea of any of this context and we, we loved those pieces for what they are. 
incredible pieces of music that stand alone, whether you believe, uh, whether you know the context or whether you don't. Now, the, the, the different thing and one of the very interesting things we do sometimes is in, in all of, most of our concerts, we um, talk about the music, the program on stage. I mean, sometimes there is a loose program, um, but most of the time we like to talk to the audience. And when we, when we do a, a program of just silence voices, well, the, if you bought your tickets, you know what you're in for, you know, you know the music. You can also just look at the, 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 you know, the date of death of any of those composers, 44, 45, you know, and, and you can make your own uh, idea about that. But when we perform it alongside Dohnani or Beethoven or Mozart, it's, it's something that I try to talk about after we play the piece. You know, for example, we'll start a concert with Dick Kattenberg's piece and say nothing about it and then explain it to people. And it's interesting to hear their reaction afterwards. Um, and, and almost unanimously, the music is loved before uh, it is put into context. things that goes through my mind in listening to the piece is whether I'm carefully looking through writing down the composition dates because I was I was taking note of that and actually kind of putting putting these pieces in order on my notes 1920s for the Paul Herman string trio 1934 for Shandor Kuti 1938 for Dick Kattenberg but listening to these pieces and thinking Am I looking for some some message or some conveyance of emotion of their condition of their situation through through this music? Because even the th in the 30s, the situation was fraught, right? Oh yes, I mean already already in the in the late uh, 1920s it, it started uh, incredible unrest in, in Europe. There, there is an interesting thing I saw of Leonard Bernstein who was talking about The Pathetic by Tchaikovsky, the number six symphony, and people saying he was extremely depressed, and well, he was. But um, Bernstein said that when you're depressed, you don't go to the piano and you don't write music, you stay in bed, and, and there's nothing you can do about it. And maybe to a certain extent it's right, but I think that for some of those composers, writing music was their saving grace. That is what they love to do, and, that's, and that is, the, the thing that defines them as human beings. And I think that for them to write in those dark circumstances, whether it was before the war and seeing some of their friends being imprisoned, intellectuals who were not um, liked by the Nazi regime, or just seeing uh, you know, their country slowly uh, falling into fascism and, and Nazism, I think that must have been horrible for for artists like them but their only way to speak up was to write music even in the darkest hours um kuti although he was in auschwitz which was possibly the worst concentration camp found paper and and managed to write a solo violin sonata that he then gave to a guard who smuggled it to his pregnant wife and just to think about that think about the fact that the conditions in which they were, you know, they, they would put them 
in cold showers and then they'd be outside in Poland in minus 10 degree weather and eat nothing for days. And still, the thing that saved them was writing music. There's this beautiful anecdote that Menuhin had about this woman who was a famed pianist, I'm sorry, I don't remember her name, and who survived being imprisoned in a barn for six days by fingering the Beethoven piano sonatas in her head. And to a certain extent, that's, that is what saved them and, and maybe made it that they lived just a little bit longer. Yeah, they were, they were pushed to the brink of inhumanity, and yet, uh, but they held on to what, what humanity that they could under these incredible um, ghastly conditions. And it's yes, and it's also speaking about context. If you look at, you know, the Kuti uh, first movement, Allegro Giocoso, um, the Klein's last movement, the Molto Vivace, or the Fried's uh, Hungarian dance at the end. If you look at all this music, the Katzenberg, it's it's extremely hopeful in human music. Um, there is uh, there is not a hint of depression or sadness in it. I mean, in some of those movements, very much so. But in, in most of the music, it's very hopeful and, and very looking forward to something. And again, if you didn't know the context of it, maybe you wouldn't think that those people would die three years later. In, in, contrast, in contrast, when you're talking about looking for meaning in pieces, I think there is one movement of one of the composers that perhaps you, you can attach more meaning than any others, and that's the slow movement of Gideon Klein's trio. And uh, quite a lot has been written about this particular movement. Um, it's based on a Mor Moravian folk song and um, a lot of people at attach a lot of meaning about escape and freedom and you know, various things like that um, from, the, from this, this particular movement. When I listen to the music, I know about what the circumstances were, and yet I allow myself to also just enjoy the quality of the compositions and even detect uh, color, um, ethnic color, and even occasionally I can pick up some humor. I, I think there's there's some uh, some humor being worked into the into the music at certain moments. Would you agree? Oh yeah, I, I think I, I think the Kep, the Kattenberg is 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 a hilarious piece of music. I mean, you mentioned in the booklet that there is there is a, um, a picture of a of uh, um, a drawing that Kattenberg did. He doodled everywhere on his music, um, doodled pictures of himself, uh, pictures of Jewish life, um, a picture of a Nazi soldier giving the Nazi salute to Hitler. Um, he was very artistic in that way, and his, I think it's his piece, which the Katzenberg is my favorite, but it's, um, it's extremely funny. There is, there is, uh, you can tell the personality of the artist, and you're completely right, um, talking about the ethnicity, those composers where we have uh, three uh, Hungarian composers, 
and two Czechs and one Dutch, and you can tell their nationality by the way they write. So the Hungarian composer use very uh, aggressive and, and, and front syllables, just like their language. And also, they were all kind of related, the, the Hungarian ones, because they all attended the Liszt Academy and studied with Bartok and Kodai, and, and so there is a common theme there. I just wanted to share with you, uh, Aurelian and David, uh, quickly uh, that I have, besides my long-standing love of classical music and discovering new pieces, um, I've had an interest for some time in the period of the 1930s and 40s and the effect it had on music and just trying to, you know, like we all do, try to make some sense of the madness. Um, but also I, I wanted to mention that in the spring in May, I'm, I'm leading a cultural tour of our listeners to Poland and Prague. And on the itinerary is um, a visit to Auschwitz. We do plan to, to go there as part of it. So uh, listening to this music uh, gives me as well as a strong connection to to that place. Yeah, yeah I mean, p performing the music in Terezin right outside of Prague um, was very meaningful to us. I mean, this music was written there, the Klein and the Krasau, and to be able to perform it in that place and visit the camp and... And, and actually see the original manuscripts that they have yeah. there. It's, uh, yeah. That was very powerful, and, and it does... You, you, I mean, you can you, you can imagine what Auschwitz was like, and but being standing there is a very different story. It must give you both a great deal of satisfaction knowing, and and probably like to think that the composers would appreciate knowing that their music is being heard again, and and that it's doing what it was meant to do, which was to communicate from them through you to to an audience. Yes, and also one of the things that we're most grateful about with this album is the fact that people who've never heard those composers now do. And that, you know, if you do like Gesefried or Hermann or Klein, Krasa, maybe you can look further and find other music that they wrote and maybe find other composers that are unknown. And that is the way it should be because that music deserves to be heard, deserves to be played and deserves to be remembered. Very good. Well, Aurelian Perizzoli and David Cunliffe, thank you both so much for your time today, members of Black Oak Ensemble, talking about silenced voices. I would say silence no more, thanks to the three of you. And wonderful time talking with you both today. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us.